0: And we bow our heads and pray together. Lord God, on this uh, day of days, we uh, remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we ask tonight that your word would set before us the clear markers of your righteousness, assure us of the peace that has been won with Christ and fill our hearts with the joy of your spirit. Amen. Well, at the uh, beginning of our service, when we uh, enjoyed the peace together, Jonathan quoted from the passage that we've just had read to us. Would you please turn to it? It's page 1141. And the words he read out are actually uh, a slightly older version of what we have set out as verse 19. What he said was, in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, and this is now where we join Paul, let us then pursue all that makes for peace and builds up our common life. But why should we? Why should we uh, pursue all that uh, makes for peace? Why should we seek so hard to build up our common life? And I put it like that because it may be that, uh, like many Christians uh, around the world today, we come to church to, as it were, get topped up for the week ahead, for a a demanding life that we uh, are going to be facing at, uh, at our desks or in our families or at college surely what matters too is that we should pursue truth and be clear. What's all this uh, peace and building up? Isn't that a bit kind of wobbly uh, for Paul? Well, no, it isn't. And he uses the word therefore in verse 19 because of what's gone before. And he gives three reasons why we should aim at peace, pursue it indeed, and build up our common life. Firstly, because Christ died Secondly, because Christ rose. And thirdly, because Christ will come again. Now, those are words that we use in our communion service. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And they serve as a kind of uh, reminder of the reasons that Paul is giving throughout uh, chapter 14 for the the ways we behave as we do. So, firstly, why should we aim at peace? Because Firstly, Christ died for the other person. let me just uh, do some background to what's going on with all this business of meat and veg. Um, There were Jewish people and Gentile people uh, in the church in Rome. You've probably picked that up if you've been with us in this series. People, that is, from a Jewish background or a Gentile background. Now, we think of Jewish people and the rules on meat largely about not being allowed shrimp or pork. But it wasn't just about the kind of things you were allowed to eat. It was also about the way things had been killed and prepared. So th- there were probably people around in the church of those days who, from a Jewish background, said, Well, if, if it hasn't been, if we can't be sure it's been prepared in the right way, we still feel we've got enough of our heritage that we don't want to, to go there. We would rather eat vegetables than risk having food that doesn't kind of just isn't kosher. And there were others around, possibly from a Gentile background, but perhaps like Paul, from a very strong point of view, as Jews saying, don't be daft. Look, uh, it's all clean. That was what Peter's vision about, was about in Acts 10. There's all kinds of reasons for, to be clear on what Jesus has made clean. That's the background argument. Paul now is going to be walking a very careful line in this chapter. He has a view, and he calls it the strong view And in that strong view, there's only a few things really matter. But there are others who he he reckons have what he calls a weak view. Not because they're weak in faith, on the contrary. It's because they think that nearly everything matters. They're weak in that their conscience is just more tender. It's more more easily poked and pricked than Paul's would be. And then, in verse 3, he's saying, well, he's recognising that the strong might look down on the weak and think that they were just being wimpy. The weak might uh, uh, look at the strong and say, well, you're just plain wrong. Why shouldn't they call each other names in that way? Well, because according to verse 3, God has accepted him, the other one. Where does that happen? Well, it happens on the cross of Jesus. If Christ has accepted our brother or sister, it's not up to us to despise or condemn them. We've got a bond with them. You have a bond with every person with whom you will share bread and wine tonight. And that bond is established in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, how dare we claim that Jesus didn't know what he was doing in the case of our brother or sister alongside us. They are the servant of the Lord relating to him. This is verse four now. And so it's for them to deal with things, with him. Why should we pursue peace? Because Christ died for the other person with whom you may disagree. Secondly, because Christ rose for the other person. And the clearest expression of that is in verse 9. Christ died and returned to life, we read, so that he might be the Lord that word, Lord, has been the kind of repeating word uh, built up to from verse 6 onwards. It's now not just about meat-eating. It's about whether some days matter more than others. Uh, Let's find uh, that. Yes, verse 5. One day man considers one day more sacred than another. The Jews, by the time that um, Paul was writing had two had lots and lots of laws, but they had two really, really big things that marked them out from every other society around them. Firstly, they had a set of food laws, so this chapter touches on those. Secondly, they were the only people around them we have weekends, so we forget that this is important. They were the only people who had a Sabbath who had a day of rest, a full day of rest. Not the sort of occasional festivals of the Roman Empire, but a weekly day of rest, and everything was subject to those two things, the Sabbath and the food laws. So in these issues, Paul is going right to the heart of Jewish identity. The person, though, who regards a day as special, does so out of concern for the Lord's glory. Verse 6, he regards one day as special, he does so to the Lord the person who eats meat is making a claim that all foods are clean and given by the Lord. The one who eats vegetables is wanting to serve the Lord. It's all about the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, and his glory. And if you really want to know how strongly the the Lord Jesus holds together polar opposites, I'll give you an example, says Paul. Oh, How about the living and the dead? How different can we imagine two groups? If life is lived to the Lord, and death is offered to the Lord who has risen as Lord over death, then both wildly opposite realities... Are in the hands of the Lord who died and rose to be, according to verse 9, the Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do we pursue peace? Because Christ died, because Christ rose, and thirdly, because Christ will come again. Well, according to verses, uh, what, 10 through uh, to 12, judgment will come before the throne of God. But in the process, every knee is going to bow down before the Lord. And here, that means Christ. And there's absolute equality before that throne. Every knee will bow. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us, verse 12, will give an account of himself to God. And if that's the case, we are not to steal from God, God's own role as judge, or Christ's own role as Lord of all. Why are we to pursue peace? Because Christ died for the brother, because Christ rose for the brother, and because Christ will come again for all the brothers and sisters. And in the verses that remain from 13 onwards, Paul's trying to kind of summarise all of this, trying to lay down broad principles that we can use. And that's where life gets difficult for us, isn't it? Because just like them, we face issues that might be enormous ones for us personally or for our churches. And we find ourselves wondering, how do we take uh, meat and veg and Sabbath days and laws and make it matter for the issues that face us? How can we apply it to our issues and get it right? Well, if those three moments of Christ's story, the the death and the rising and and the returning, have been the... If those three moments have been the why of making peace, there's something here that goes on from verse 13 to offer two principles about how we do it. So let's uh, follow these. First, there's a principle of what we might call faithful conscience. Uh, Verse 13, make up your mind. Verse 14, I am fully convinced. Uh, And later on in that same verse, if anyone regards, it's a, a word meaning considers. These are all thinking words. So what Paul is saying is take these issues and think them through. Be faithful along the way to Christ's death and resurrection and return. Come to a conclusion. Now, I think that's quite dramatic in our speaking to our world, because I suspect there are very, very many issues where we say, "Well, there's different opinions. I can't be expected to think. Oh, you can get, get anything you like from the Bible if you try hard enough. It probably doesn't matter. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying it doesn't matter about meat. doesn't matter about days. He's saying, think it through. You can come to completely different conclusions, but either way, it does matter. God expects in those days the Jewish and the Gentile Christians, and in our day, each one of us, to face the responsibilities of faith. Use the mind and the conscience you've been given. Educate it. Fill in all the blanks. Do thinking. It's okay to disagree. There's nothing in this passage that says, well, it would be much better if we just kind of papered it over it's fine to disagree. What's not fine, what's not okay, is to pretend that we don't disagree when actually we do. What's not fine is to come into the the public life of the Christian community and say, well, yeah, you you, you might be right, yeah, yeah. And inside to be going, well, actually, you're completely balmy," but I'm not going to say that to you. And neither can it be okay if we're on this business of thinking it through. Not only, it's obvious, the strong here are not to look down on the weak, but neither are the weak to hold the strong hostage and to play the victim card. You mustn't damage me. I happen to think that um, eating vegetables uh, and, and, and being a vegetarian... Uh, and this is 2,000 years ago, remember, not now, I think it's really important, and you mustn't eat meat in front of me, you mustn't damage me, or I'll, I'll scream and I'll be a victim. That's not right either, that's not thinking it through. Think it through, says Paul. All of these are thinking words. So the first principle, then, is a faithful conscience, a mind that's formed around the issues, bearing in mind what God has to say and the gospel message of Christ. But the second principle is one of generous, inclusive love. Paul has said, look, I happen to believe all foods are clean. Verse 14, I'm fully convinced no food is unclean in itself. But if my brother is distressed because he sees me eating meat, then he might be damaged. He might be destroyed in his faith. I'm not to do it. This is how strongly he means it in, in verse 16. If you, the strong, rejoice in being free, if you think you've got beyond the scruples that some have got, do not lead your brother to condemn the very freedom that you consider good. You are responsible for your mind and thinking it through, yes, but you are also responsible for your brother. That matters. What you need is to be pleasing to God, as he puts it in verse 18, and that's the zone of faith, thinking it through, adopting a a clear view responsibly before God. Pleasing to God is the zone of faith, but then also approved by men. The zone of love. Eating and drinking really don't matter, even if the Jewish law thought them important, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, verse 17. These things matter, and so does your brother. Indeed, and this echoes a theme around decently, which was a key word last week, what is visible, what we do visibly matters, because it's what others whom we love see. And that surfaces here too, There, in this issue of being approved by men in verse 18, or in in verse 22. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. There's a place for a decent reserve. We don't have to follow what would, in our culture today, be the, the modern fashion for letting it all hang out, and assuming that everyone has to know everything you think. No, they don't. Some issues are fine, kept private between you and God. But Paul's final word in this uh, section is a surprising one, I think. Puts the emphasis on being clear. Within the, the, the example that he's been using, the one thing he really wants to avoid is saying, well, maybe eating meat's all right then. Not clear in your mind, having the doubts that he speaks about in verse 23. That's a recipe for disaster, and that is the one thing that's condemned. Because then you're all over the place. You're thinking about the the meal you're sitting down in front of, the food that's arrived at the table, and you're thinking about how you look, and you're forgetting the real issues. Instead of either saying, I think this, so I'll do this, or I think this, but for the sake of the other, my brother or sister, I'll do that, you've gone all kind of wet. That's probably the the theme for the the chapter, really, is you can think A or you can think Z, just don't be wet. Now, when it comes to applying all of this now, the challenge for us has got to be this one, hasn't it? Well, where do we work like this, uh, as it were, on the basis of charity? Where do we say, okay, we can agree to disagree? And where, on the other hand, do we need to draw an absolute line and say, no, no, this is not one where we agree to disagree, there's a line here. And I can tell you that the books I've looked at have been absolutely no help to me. Uh, Interestingly, they all run away from it at this point. All the preaching commentaries uh, speak of tensions that were really live and important ones 200 years ago or they're ones that all the people reading that particular book could agree about uh, as they read it. They're very afraid of naming the tensions here and now, and that's the whole point of the, that Paul is trying to raise. Don't be afraid of dealing with it. Well, all of these are church issues, the ones that he's dealing with. Identity markers. Food and days. And what is Pentecost except the discovery that those who felt they had the right to be God's people, the Jews, are suddenly astounded that they've got Parthians and Elamites and Libyans and all the others, residents of Cappadocia, I think, if I remember rightly, uh, standing up and praising God in their own languages, hearing hearing the story of God in their own languages. They were astonished that these other people appear to be being allowed in as well, So these are church issues. What about church music? Have you ever encountered a church where there are disputes about music? Paul is telling us that it's possible that our love for each other, together with the rigor with which we consider the issue, might in itself have more power to convert... ...than whether or not we use this or that style of music. What about drink at church events? I remember reading a biography of an American woman... ...brought up in a deeply Pentecostal and therefore teetotal household... ...and her shock when encountering charismatic Anglicans... ...one of whom said to her that having the Holy Spirit in her life... ...was like having gin in her orange juice... Now, we have both kinds here. I don't mean we have the gin. I mean that we have here those who think that it's okay to drink and those who think it's not. I'm glad we do. It marks it out as an area where we're saying we can disagree, folks. Other things matter more. I'm off to the um, uh, UEA Christian Union on Tuesday evening to join a questions panel, and I've been alerted to some of the questions. Half of them are about sex. The only surprise is it isn't more. And the challenge will be verse 23. The danger is not the person who says, in discussion, Alan, I personally am convinced that stable, faithful relationships without marriage but with sex are okay. I would think he was wrong. It probably would be a he too. I would think he was wrong and I, I would think I could probably persuade him otherwise. That's not the danger, though. The danger comes from the person who says, well, I sort of think that my church back home was right when they said no, but I kind of really want to. So that's verse 23. That's doubting and being condemned because you kind of want someone else to take the responsibility away from you. Paul is saying, I won't do that. Yes, I'm an apostle, But you have the responsibility of thinking this through. Make up your mind, and then having made up your mind, act with total, utter, generous love to your brother and sister. See, I read the danger not so much as being that in our own day we disagree, but precisely that we back off from disagreeing, that we go into a space in which we actually think X but don't stand up and defend it because we're, well, we're ooh, just a bit nervous. And once we do that, that makes faith and love impossible. It's just niceness at that point. The challenge Paul's putting in front of us is, disagree with all your might, but with all your might be loving. And that's why those words with which Jonathan began in the one spirit we were all baptized so pursue all that makes for peace that's why they matter if we don't know that we disagree there's nothing to there's no uh, value in the pseudo peace that we've got let's recognize the disagreements that there are but then astound the world around us by our utter determination to pursue and the word is a strivingy word a, a gutsy word make every effort to find peace. In faith, make up your mind, and in love, surrender your will. Now, please don't say to me afterwards, Alan, you didn't make it practical. I need you to give me some some examples. I can't, because if I gave you an example, I'd be making up your mind for you. Paul resolutely refuses to do that. It's your mind, it's your conscience, it's your heart. Make your mind up about whatever the issues are that concern you. I suspect we have scarcely begun to engage with the diversity that Christ would love to implant among us. Let's have more arguments, please, not fewer. But how we then go on to deal with them matters enormously, matters gospelly. The peace, when we exchange it, should be a shocking moment. It should be astounding that Parthians and Elamites and Jews should get together, that people who are vegetarians and meat eaters should get together, that people who have high days and holy days, not just Pentecost, but St Julian of Norwich's Day, for all I know, as well as a washing day on Tuesday, should get together. It should astound the world, the diversity that happens when we exchange the peace with one another. Together, when we kneel at this rail or stand at our different stations, it should astound the world that rich and poor, Parthian and Emilmite and all of that again are standing together at the foot of the cross, saying with empty hands, I need the body and blood of Christ to be who I can be. Above all, don't evade the responsibilities and say, Well, I don't really know, or think that things don't matter. Not everything matters in every way. There are lots of things that don't matter very much. But Paul is talking about things that mattered hugely to these communities, and we may have things that matter hugely to us. Let's acknowledge them and astound the world that in love they will not break the bonds. That Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and Christ's return have bound us together in. Let's pray. Lord God, deliver us from niceness. Deliver us from that kind of bland wetness that masquerades as agreement. Give us the courage to uh, face the issues that life throws at us, the the, the issues that our newspapers throw at us, the issues that our church throws at us, to make up our minds. We want to live guided and educated in our consciences by your word and your spirit. We want to be drawn together in our minds. But where those strong differences of view remain, and they will until the end of time, we ask that you remind us, may remind us too who it is we're disagreeing with, one for whom Jesus died, one for whom Jesus rose, and one with whom we shall bow the knee at the throne of Christ. Give us to value one another, we pray, and amaze the world through the church that you have created, that such diversity can live in such love, and that would be a new society for which we long. Amen.